I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, the 992nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we began what I imagine will be an ongoing conversation about a potential war in Israel, a potential war in the Middle East, 
Israel going after Hamas, going after Palestine, going after Iran, other nations of the Middle East potentially joining Iran and Palestine in going after Israel and the global regime around the world, making sure that absolutely everybody in the world is on the exact same page in support of their war efforts on behalf of what they call Israel, or you will face dire consequences emotionally and reputationally. People will try to destroy you for your failure to comply with the repetition of the slogans that support the central narrative. If you refuse to do it, they will attempt to destroy your life. And it remains to be seen how effective they will be. They have certainly been very effective using this tactic in the past. Everyone is going to have to get on the same page. Everyone is going to have to believe the same things and say the same things. In fact, you can even believe other things as long as you will say the right things. Maybe that's even better because that shows the regime, hey guys, I'm willing to lie if you threaten my comfort or my reputation, I will be more than happy to lie. Is it one of the most important subjects in the world? Yes. Well, I will still lie. Are there dire moral consequences on my soul for getting this one wrong and encouraging the sending of young men off to war? Yep. Well, hey, that's okay. I will gladly lie for you because you have threatened my comfort. You have threatened my ability to simply enjoy myself during this comfortable ride until I eventually expire from this earth, having done nothing but accumulate things. The regime is telling us you've had your fun. You've had your fun. All your conspiracy theories. Yeah, you got us. They were right. You had your fun. Weren't you impressive? You figured it out. Well, those other people... They didn't figure it out. They're still with us and we're going to use them to help us crush you. You've had your good time. We told you not to do it. And here we are. Everyone is now going to crush you unless, unless you agree that it was all a good time. We had our little squabbles. Yes, we censored and oppressed you. And yes, yes, you said those things about us, but let's just let bygones be bygones. Allow us to go to this war engulfing the entire Middle East. We are going to bomb the ever-loving shit out of everyone's holy land. And after we do that, we're going to make sure that this thing lasts long enough to kill every sovereign nationalist in the world who does not eventually decide to repeat the slogans with everyone else. And that does seem to be the strategy here. So as I said yesterday, we're going to attempt to approach this subject with humility and seriousness, trying to weigh the moral consequences of the things that we ultimately think and the actions we support. And rather than accepting that what the television has always told us, up until now is true. We're going to let go of all that stuff and see what sort of understanding about this situation we can build from the ground up. 
understanding. We're not going to find all the pieces. We're not going to know everything there is to know, but we can know that the history as we've been taught it is totally unreliable. And we can know that all the people clamoring right now for war are the same people who supported the same thing just a year and a half ago in Ukraine. The people who told us, no, those aren't real Nazis. And there's not a real Nazi history there, despite all the history. This is different. You see, the leader is himself Jewish, according to us. And that means that these can't be Nazis. Those very same people are encouraging us to go to war now. And some of the rhetoric is actually pretty unbelievable. Just talking about incinerating people. Tough guys saying things like, yes, it is time to wipe Palestine off the earth. Like, what in the world are people talking about? What in the world are you as an American doing? Weighing in on a decision of whether or not to eradicate an entire people on the other side of the world based on some videos you saw on the internet and a history that, as it's told to you, is certain to be absolutely chock full of lies. And if we're going to talk like that, and if we're going to take talk like that seriously, but somehow not literally, what sorts of people are we signing up to be? I think communists are absolutely reprehensible in knowledge and character, and I wish that they would wake up. I wish they would take the time and express the genuine caring that they want people to believe they have in their hearts. I wish they would take that caring and put it toward figuring out what is actually going on in the world right now, because that would very likely stop them from supporting the things they're supporting. But I don't want them killed. I don't want them all rounded up and re-educated. I don't want them bombed or imprisoned unless they have actually broken the laws, the laws they apply to others. If they have broken those laws, then they can be tried in courts before a jury of their peers. And if prison is the sentence, then it's prison. But I don't want them rounded up and thrown in prison for being communists. And aside from occasionally joking around about helicopter rides, I don't think I've ever said otherwise. I don't even want Russia to incinerate all those Nazis in Ukraine. I would like every one of them to be forced to admit all their crimes and tell everyone, tell the world, all of those complicit. And then I would like to go circle by circle in the funding and coordination of those Nazis and find out exactly where it leads and then have the whole world understand. And then after that, of course, to the extent that these are Nazis, absolutely go ahead and give them the sentences that are seen fit to give by the countrymen who they tried to destroy, because that's not happening here. So it's not our issue what those Ukrainians decide to do with them. We can voice our opinion and support one way or another, but it's not our decision ultimately. But we have people ranting and raving online about how maybe the best move is to simply turn out the lights and starve these two million Palestinians. Now, I don't have to be in any way supporting Palestine or Hamas, and I don't support them. To understand that risking the eradication of two million of them 
isn't something that we can just go start screaming on the internet after seeing some videos and being told some horrifying stories and shown some horrifying pictures. That's stuff we've seen in the real world before coming from this very same regime. And it's the sort of thing we've seen them fake before. Now, I don't have to say, and I don't have to prove that any of this is fake to at least step back far enough and understand what it is we're doing and why we can't be the sort of people that just see some videos on the internet and are then told some stories about what those videos mean, shown some pictures, told some more stories, told about the oppression of certain people and told more stories and told how because of that oppression, we now need to commit ourselves to going to war in every religion's holy land for as long as it takes. As long as what takes? As long as it takes to settle thousand-year-old religious disputes? Is that what we're going to go do over in the Middle East right now? Is that what we are going to support because you've said the magic words? Well, no, we're not going to do that. What we are going to do is take a step back and try to build a knowledge base from the bottom up so that we have some idea, at least, what's actually going on over there. And we're going to look at that picture from multiple directions and try to figure out whether or not the picture is accurate. And then if it is, how we can synthesize what's in that picture in order to understand it and then draw whatever meaning we can from it that will lead our moral decision-making. We are not going to go out and promote the eradication of a couple of million people because the internet made us mad. That is for insane people. And naturally, everybody's like, it's not just the internet. It's the news. The news is confirming that these stories are true. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So it's the internet, the television, and the print news. They're all confirming the story. Get out of town, Gami. You don't say. They're all on the same page. The internet, the television, and the print media are all on the same page. Gosh, how did it happen? In the prior age, we only had the television and print media and they would just tell everybody what to believe and everybody believed it. And they all called it unity, even though it made no sense. Hey, Sam. Hey, Fred. Are all of your beliefs definitely false just based on how none of them could ever fit together into a coherent and principled worldview? Oh, why, yes, they are. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Guess I got to get myself back inside. Can't miss the beginning of Brian Williams. People are literally clamoring for the deaths of millions of people because some combination of the internet, television, and newspapers has made them feel angry and scared. We're not going to do that. And we can't do that because we have to be better than the standard issue villagers who will just do whatever the television tells them to. There is a very strong chance that the television is intentionally misleading them. And if we allow ourselves to be like them, if we do what they do, if we do what the television tells us to do, then we are not putting America first. We are not putting our families first. We are not putting our children first, our friends first, our communities first, etc. 
To believe otherwise would be to believe that the television is looking out for your best interests this time. And it is clear that the television is not doing that. The television is still advertising COVID shots. But where is COVID? COVID is nowhere. They're just advertising experimental mRNA shots. And they want you to get an RSV shot and a flu shot as well. They want you to get three at one time. Every commercial played during national sporting events like NFL games is outright propaganda. Sports and movies and television shows are all just filled to the brim now with propaganda. Every little bit of it is them trying to create that false reality and keep you inside it. The world really is like this. That's what they're saying. And we need your help. We need your help. To keep the world like this, what we're going to need you to do is every single thing we tell you to do without questioning any of it. And we need you to do it when we need you to do it. There's not going to be any thinking or debating. There's not going to be any hesitating or confusion. We're going to need you to do what we tell you to do right now. The television is not looking out for you this time. They have not looked out for you any of these times prior, and they are certainly not doing it now. And you can tell by the tone of the conversation that they are trying to apply the maximum pressure right up front to break everybody immediately. Because once you've broken them that first time, they're going to have no choice but to continue going along with it. Look how long the Ukraine thing has continued. Most people in this country are not in a position, morally speaking, to stand up against the Ukraine spending. And that's why they're so quiet about it. They have to be able to explain why before it was a life or death necessity, but now it shouldn't happen at all. And they can't make that explanation to their fellow standard issue villagers who are around them in their social environments. They can't say, yeah, we were all wrong and it's really pretty bad, morally speaking, that you're continuing to support it. You really got to stop supporting that thing as fast as possible. We were just wrong. That's not what people are doing. They haven't stayed in the party of false decorum for the last three plus years to get to that point at this time. If they're still in it now, if they're still making the argument now, and they were making the argument a few months ago and a few months before that, they're probably in it to the end. Maybe we'll peel off some small percentage and that's wonderful. We want people to keep waking up and taking responsibility for themselves, understanding that they have done things wrong. It's cool. We all have. You went a little far with it, Kami, but... Make yourself a redeemable commie and attempt to redeem yourself. Just please stop causing problems along the way and we've got this, all right? But otherwise, people are not going to get there. They're going to keep doing the thing they've been doing. They are going with all the pressure right up front. If you oppose them day after day after day, they're going to ratchet it up. Now they have pictures of beheaded babies and stories about beheaded babies. Now, Do awful things happen in the world? Yes. Could awful things be happening right now? Yes. Are those awful things happening right now? We don't know. 
But even if you want to bias toward believing that what you're being shown online and on television and in the news is true, does that mean that we need to push for the United States involvement in an all out war in the Middle East, which is exactly what we would be signing up for. There is not some small targeted strike. Now they're saying they want us to go in and get hostages out. Well, what happens if something goes wrong? Oh, yes. The United States would be immediately drawn into that war. And you got to think that maybe the people clamoring for war know that and might be doing this whole hostage thing for that reason. Are there hostages? I don't know. And you don't either. What I do know is that the people telling me there are hostages have lied to me about absolutely everything else while trying to get me to commit myself morally, financially, and with my ideas and belief and the repetition of those ideas to support every kind of atrocity that this regime has wrought for years and years and years. Going back for pretty much all of time, because what they do cycles through over and over and over again. And you can see the system replicating itself as it happens. You can watch these stories come back around generation after generation. We look at the Reichstag fire in Germany. We look at the Maidan Square massacre in Ukraine. We look at January 6th. We look at a very similar, very violent insurrection in Brazil two years later. All those events are basically the same. All of them were used for the same exact things. All of them were used by the same globalist regime. And yet we're going to pretend that they are somehow different. That because we've seen these events in the world and we were made to feel serious emotions about these events on one side or the other, some facet really tugged at our heartstrings, made us angry, made us sad, made us confused. We're going to see these things and then do whatever they say. We're going to assume that these events are real while knowing that these same events have a history and that they're all the same people. And we're going to pretend it's not true this time because we are witnessing it. I mean, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. This is the trick that gets played over and over and over again, generation after generation after generation. And every time everybody believes it's just something that happened spontaneously. But it's not, and we know it, and we know who did it. We watch them continue to do these things in the real world every day. Is the event itself totally fake? Maybe, but maybe not. It doesn't have to be. There are real events that are really devastating to real people that are nonetheless turned into absolutely false stories and the guilt and victimhood roles in the situation are completely reversed within the central narrative so that all of us draw out all the wrong meaning from the event. And we can never actually find any sort of justice for the victims because we were told that the victims were the perpetrators. And so we sign up to punish them again, as long as it's not us, right? Now, the thing about this awakening process that can be really frustrating is that we have to continually remind ourselves that everything we think we know from before and from now too, but from before may well be wrong and probably is because it has been communicated to us 
through largely official channels. Those official channels, all, all controlled by the regime, all of the public schools, nearly all of the private schools, and certainly all of the colleges, including and especially the most elite colleges. The private schools in many ways are worse. Do they teach a better curriculum better? Yes. Do they instill the elitism and many of the progressive values, even the religious oriented and conservative ones? Yeah, they sure do. And then those elite private schools are basically conveyor belts for elite colleges and the elite colleges instill those values even further. I went to a public school and then to a fairly elite liberal arts college. I got a hefty, hefty dose. I was also the president of a fraternity and then moved to Hollywood where I was 100% all the time for nearly 20 years in a competition to ascend the rungs in the ladder of the party of false decorum. So I have had a hefty, hefty, hefty dose of all of that elitism, all that knowledge, all of those progressive values. I can see it all in my past. I can sense it all in my mind. I know how it all got there. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that most of what I was taught until I woke up by culture, by society, by the academy, is guaranteed to be false in at least one way, probably many ways, and very likely completely false. And that is never more true than when you get to the point of that victimhood oppressor complex that is constantly exploited by the Marxist and communists, and therefore by the regime. If they are able to reteach and rewrite history, in a way that consistently presents their side as the victim rather than the oppressor, they can be certain that their view will not only be spread intentionally, it will be protected because it must be protected. Unless, of course, you want to repeat that history. And no one wants to repeat these historical atrocities that they caused. We have to be ready to let that historical understanding that has been disseminated to us. We have been indoctrinated with these historical understandings by and from the regime. We have to be ready to let that go every time we understand that that interpretation, that one handed down to us by the authoritative source is impossible to hold on to in light of what we now see emerging before our eyes. When we look at the world with the proper understanding of what the sides are, all of this becomes so much easier to see. If we were told about some historical regime doing something awful to the people, and we see that same thing happening in the real world, but we're told that they're actually doing it to help, we need to immediately recognize that as an example of this group being representative of that same regime. Here's an example. Back in World War II, we are told that the Nazis did medical experimentation against the Jews in concentration camps. I have absolutely no problem believing that that is true. And one of the reasons I believe it's true, and I would say certain that it is true, is because I watched 
the bloodline and ideological descendants of that exact same regime recommend forced medical experimentation and segregation on the people of the world just two years ago. I saw them do it. And while they were doing that, they were also supporting Nazi battalions in Ukraine, funding them, arming them, giving them intelligence and support. And they did that while knowing that those Nazis had been engaged in an ethnic civil war for seven years at that point. But truthfully, it's more like seven decades. So you got Nazi battalions, you got supporters of Nazi battalions, you've got medical experimentation and segregation by those World War II Nazis, and you have medical experimentation and segregation by the people supporting Nazi battalions in Ukraine right now. What are the chances that those are different ideologies and different groups while they are the very same ideological and bloodline descendants of the people in World War II? What are the chances that those sides are the opposite side? The chance is zero. There is a 0% chance of that being the case. And when you look out into the world and see that these same groups who are supporting all of that are also supporting the United Nations and the World Economic Forum and a hate movement against Russians, a hate movement against sovereign nationalist Americans supporting Donald Trump, hate movements all around the world. It's really not difficult at all to understand that that is one regime. It is not multiple regimes. It is not different sides. It is one regime doing the same thing, running the same playbook in different places at different times. It is nothing else. It should be seen as such and treated as such. We should think of them the same way we would think of World War II Nazis. And we can look them in the eye and understand who and what they are. We don't need their immediate eradication. That is not what's called for. What is called for is the exposure of their crimes and the understanding of what they're doing, the understanding of who supports what they're doing and where all that comes from in the history of all that. Let's get to that point and then we can decide what we are going to do about that problem. But we have to understand that it's the same thing. And the people they are against all the people of the world who don't support the global regime. That is their enemy. Ultimately, it might be Jews in one instance. It might be white American men in another instance. It might be black Americans or black people from all around the world. There are still slave trades going on in the world. One of them is happening at our southern border, and they are rounding up black people from all over the earth to enter through our southern border and then be placed somewhere in this country where they will be given shelter and a job and food and health care in exchange for their permanent indentured servitude and the permanent use of their vote. These people will then hand any children they have over to the regime. The regime will use them for medical experimentation. Maybe they will have them all at public schools being indoctrinated by Marxists. Maybe they'll change some of their genders. Maybe for the really special ones, they'll send them to college and give them a chance at a better life. Support the regime and its agenda the hardest, and we will give you a wonderful life. We might even make you attorney general of New York. 
It is the regime and its supporters against the sovereign nationalist individual citizens of the world and sovereign nations. That is the split. The agenda targets all the people on one side of that split in different ways. And of course, they go after women. They go after children. They go after all ethnicities. They have storylines appropriate for disposing of everyone. The strange thing is they barely hide it. When it comes to war, when it comes to their most important agenda items and narrative pieces, they will make sure that the uniparty left and uniparty right join forces. And rather than attacking each other in that controlled opposition dynamic, they will go after specific groups on either quote unquote side. They'll go after the populists in each one of those groups. There are people on the left who inevitably will be supporting the regime in full. And most of them do it vocally and happily. Some of them pretend to oppose the regime while actually supporting the regime because they don't really understand what's going on. They just think they're helping. Communists are not very smart, but there are populists among them who genuinely think that they are trying to help real people by having the state give them everything and control their lives. They actually believe that they're helping people. Those people who believe in populist values, they think that the elections, for instance, are real. Again, very dumb, but they have some genuine understanding and urge to help normal people as misguided as they might be. Those people will be attacked by the uniparty combined. And of course, we will be because the uniparty hates us the most. We are the biggest threat. That's why the uniparty left and the uniparty right have both waged kind of separate hate campaigns on Donald Trump and on MAGA now for well over eight years. Now they get the opportunity to combine on that. War is what brings the uniparty together. They get to shed that whole controlled opposition dynamic and just be friends. They all want war. They want to support the intelligence apparatus. They want to support the military industrial complex. They want to support the global regime and the agenda of globalism because they actually want a one world government. The leftists believe that everyone is going to get along in peace and harmony and have equality. The people on the right have these arguments about fair trade that they think are actually supportable because they always take the fact that it is slave labor in China and elsewhere, making everything so cheap. But they have that idea, those trade ideas. They want the globalism for that, and they think that it will ultimately make everybody rich. They also think that America's values through trade will be spread to the world. And that the world will all be better off for it. America's values in that understanding, that's the value of regime globalism, which is regime communism. They determine whether someone's life is good or bad, worth living or not, based on their level of success relative to that understanding of what's good in the world. There are people on both sides who are firmly committed to that globalist project. They think the United States needs the rest of the world and that quote unquote cheap labor in China. They are not in actual opposition. The uniparty left and the uniparty right are not enemies. 
They are friends with different opinions about some aesthetic stuff and how they want to identify publicly. The left wants everybody to know that they would never hate anybody, no matter how degenerate their behavior, because they don't judge. They're good people. The right wants everybody to know that they're tough and manly and that they know how things work in the real world. And we listen to that story most of our lives. Normally, the uniparty left and the uniparty right fight with one another. They tickle fight and pillow fight. They call each other nasty little names like woke. The uniparty left communists call the uniparty right communists fascists. Everything they say and do supports the understanding from the central narrative about politics and geopolitics, world affairs and history, how power works in the world, what's really important. And together they advance the global agenda, seeming like they are on opposite sides the whole time. But they're not on opposite sides the whole time. They're not on opposite sides ever. They argue for the public and then advance the agenda together. And they love the opportunities for them to come out and agree with people on the quote-unquote other side. There is nothing that people on the uniparty right like more than when people on the uniparty left pat them on the head and tell them, yes, you are smart. Oh, yeah, I guess you got it right that time. Well, you know, I just... I feel so much for these people, but I have to admit you have a point. Oh, that leaves the uniparty right just tickled. The uniparty right loves when the uniparty left comes and says, you know, I've been thinking about it and it's true all my life. I've known who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. And these people tell me to say that it's impossible to know who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs, but I just know that's wrong. And I'm going to be brave enough to say it. Oh, the Uniparty right loves that. Matt Walsh will feature you in one of his pieces of trans content if you're willing to say that. Gosh, look at that, everybody. We got one from the left. This one is willing to admit who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. Isn't that great? Let's all clap for Sally. Congratulations, Sally. What a good, good girl you are. You get 15 minutes extra recess today. They love coming together and the biggest issues in the world are the ones they get to join forces on. And we discussed all of those issues, those events yesterday. Me too. BLM, COVID masks and lockdowns and vaccines, the stolen election, the very violent insurrection, the Ukraine war. Now this, these are all huge issues. And in nearly every one of these, we saw the uniparty left and right agree. And when they didn't, you can still watch each side supporting every critical element of the central narrative so that no one will simply call it what it is. They get together and they exert their will and implement their agenda while convincing all of society that it must shout down all dissent or they themselves can be destroyed. Extraordinary emotional and reputational consequences for going against the agenda. Now, for years and years and years, as long as I can remember, I have at various points heard the old adage that throughout history, the same people had repeatedly funded 
both sides of every war. And I thought, well, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. We have one country against another country. You must want one of them to win. Why would you fund both of them? Why would you be spending all that money supporting one side while spending just as much money supporting the other side? They're just going to destroy all the stuff you buy and the war will just continue on. Why would anyone do that? Why would you support the U.S. and the country at war with the U.S.? I thought of it kind of like betting on football. Why would you take the 49ers and also take the Cowboys for the same amount of money? You're going to end up paying the VIG on your loss. It's going to be worse than having not participated at all. But that, of course, is thinking about it all wrong. And then you eventually realize, well... They're going to fund this war for however long it takes for both sides because they actually don't care who wins or loses and they will make money on the war fighting itself. Then they will make money on the reconstruction and you get a little farther down the road like that. That starts making sense. Okay, this is why you would fund both sides because companies that you own are going to produce all of the weapons and the ammunition and the supplies. And then once all the destruction happens, companies that you own are going to rebuild both countries. Assuming that both countries will get on the right path as far as the agenda goes. Otherwise, why would you give those countries any funding at all? You would be happy to watch those countries fall apart. I mean, you don't care if they're destroying each other in a war already. You clearly don't care about the people of those countries. So, of course, you're not going to care whether or not they're going to want to rebuild their country. Let's leave it in rubble until they realize what's good for them. Eventually, some politician will get that entire country to agree that the globalist system is going to be best for them They'll sign up and then their country can be rebuilt. Oh, then we'll make the country plenty rich indeed. But it's possible to actually go a little further than that. What could this regime want? We know that they're funding both sides. So they accept the destruction. They accept the loss of life. They are going to use maximum leverage to get countries to go along with their agenda when they promise to rebuild those countries, but they don't care about the countries. They don't care about the people of the countries, and they certainly don't care about the young men who are by and large sovereigntists and nationalists who will fight a war on behalf of that country. They definitely don't care about them. In fact, those men in those nations are the enemies of the regime. And so when the regime gets to start a war, the sovereign nationalists of those countries are the ones whose lives will inevitably be ended. And there is a pretty easy argument to make to see why the regime might have wars just to do that and might involve countries just so that their young, strong, brave, patriotic Sovereign nationalists will be taken away to die on foreign battlefields. 
I mean, again, they already explicitly support a depopulation agenda. And you might say, hey, the Uniparty right does not support that agenda. Really? Well, then how come for 40 years up until Donald Trump burst onto the scene, they never talked about how it was a depopulation agenda in the first place? How come they still don't? How come these people can never win an argument on anything for decades? All they do is say, oh, you know, those leftists, they're going too far this time. We're going to need you to give us all the power you can for years, and we'll tell you we're about to fix it. They're aligned on pretty much everything that matters. Again, you had Mike Thernovich out there encouraging mask wearing. You had Ben Shapiro saying, get the vaccine, dopes. You had Sean Hannity and all the guys like that supporting, sending money endlessly to Ukraine, making Volodymyr Zelensky a hero. Ooh, Putin is a brutal dictator. This is an invasion. Their positions were indistinguishable. Blue and yellow flag pins and handkerchiefs for Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and all of those who follow them in our legislative bodies. Now, if you really wanted to take over societies in the aftermath of a war, you would be hard pressed to find better ways to do that than by having each side eliminate all of the sovereign, patriotic, nationalist men in both countries. You want to elevate weak, incompetent, complicit, corruptible, compromised men? That's a pretty damn good way to do it. Are we really supposed to pretend that's not what's happening? And then in these brutal battles of the past, should we not at least consider that the two sides, quote unquote, both funded by the global regime are not just willingly sending the young, brave, patriotic, sovereign nationalist men of each country to die on foreign battlefields simply to call them? What about this regime's agenda? What about what we've seen this regime do that would tell you that's not what's happening or that that couldn't happen because that's simply too evil? What about their behavior suggests that the prior understanding is correct? And when you consider the indoctrination aspect, consider who got to bypass the Vietnam War and skip the draft. It was those going to college. Those who were willing to commit to the indoctrination were able to avoid war. And that may come off judgmental. I don't mean it to be. I don't think Vietnam was a good war. I don't blame anyone for not wanting to go fight it. We can see now that it is the evil twin faction in the regime starting these wars and sending men off to die in them. I would not myself ever want to go fight and die in a war of Joe Biden's choosing under Joe Biden's direction or under the direction of the military industrial complex as it has been. And of course, I'm not saying that to cast aspersions on our military either. Everything is two things. We have to be able to talk about the corrupt part. They always try to obscure how everything is two things so that you can never actually talk about the corrupt part 
without sounding like you are insulting the good part. But we're adults. We're smart people. We can understand that everything is two things and that we are talking about one part or the other. People talk about dumb Americans, for instance. Are we dumb? Well, we've been dumb in certain ways. Are there dumb Americans? Oh, yes, there are. We have millions of people in this country who are gladly walking to their own demise on a promise from liars that they will save the planet in doing so. Those people are considered smart by society, but they're very, very dumb. They declare time and time again that they are willing to sacrifice their lives whenever called upon. As soon as the regime says we must, they were willing to give away their entire careers, all their plans, their futures during COVID. They were willing to say, oh, well, all of my prior life is gone. I guess I just stay home forever now. They didn't care about the kids in the masks. They didn't care about all the people whose jobs and livelihoods were destroyed. All the people who were forced to move from their homes because they went flat broke as these people sat home watching Netflix and ordering from Uber Eats. They took the vaccine because the science said they had to. The television said they had to. If they died from it, they wouldn't even feel bad. They said it was worth it every time one of them died. Oh, well, let's just mark that one down as a COVID death and pretend that no one can see what we're doing. But would they want to go die in a war? Well, hell no, they wouldn't, because that would involve pain and suffering, not like the vaccine. But that's not the reason, is it? You see, people like them will give people like them credit for taking the vaccine. But people like them will not give people like them credit for going off and fighting a war. They'll say, what is Trevor doing over there? These are the people clamoring for war. They don't care about their lives. I mean, they're not going to die for Israel. They're not going to die for Ukraine. And they would never in a million years go die for Taiwan. But they will encourage it from others. They'll do whatever they're told to do to maintain their comfortable ride. Inject yourself. Say this. Support this war. Support this pedophile. Taylor Swift says register to vote. And we just keep going. And because these people want to show everyone that it's not only morally good to be supporting the things they're supporting. It is so purely and obviously morally good to support the things they're supporting that if you don't support them, you must be evil. And because you're evil, you can be treated in any way they come up with. And because you are evil and they are good for fighting you, they can say anything they want about you at any point, no matter what you have done or said in your life, they can say anything they want about you and they will still be the good ones because you're evil. And at some point, we all actually have to look and understand, oh, that's the other side. It's the people who are saying I'm evil all the time just because I consistently want to make sure I'm not agreeing with the television like a brain-dead communist. That's the other side, the side that always says it hates me, even though it agrees with me about some things. That's the other side. It's not 
Democrats, although almost all of them are clearly on the other side. Democrats love saying how much they hate me, but not as much as those con ink people do. But duh, how could I have been so confused? Democrats and Republicans are essentially the same thing. It's just the uniparty left, the uniparty right, working together in an explicitly anti-human agenda. And they have been for decades while they have taken and expected my support for everything they do. Gosh, that seems like something the other side would do. Now, wait a second. What's that? Oh, they're telling everyone again how they hate me. Gosh, maybe that is the other side. And the entire time they've told me to hate one part of this weird controlled opposition dynamic. And I was doing that just because I could tell they hated me. But wait, these people hate me too. Oh, and they're working together. Oh, yeah. Okay. That is the other side. Yeah, guys, that's the other side. The Uniparty is the other side, and they are telling you that you have to support their war or they are going to further destroy your life and cause you more suffering. And a lot of people at that point are willing to go along with them just because they believe that they personally cannot endure any more suffering at the hands of this regime. Well, here's a revelation. If you want to keep suffering forever, do what those people who are intentionally causing your suffering tell you to do. They will definitely stop once you go along with them. They will never, ever cause you more suffering in the future, knowing that eventually they can break you because they have already broken you. Go along with them. Go along with them again. Now, if you understand that the two sides in the war are controlled by the same people and funded by the same people and pursuing a similar agenda on behalf of the same people, then in some important way, they aren't actually two sides at all. They're just one side, at least in the sense that they are pursuing ultimately the same things and that the leaders within both parties are probably supporting those things explicitly. In that way, it's very similar to the controlled opposition dynamic we see in the United States between Democrat and Republican. They can pretend to hate each other. And for normal people who are really wrapped up in the stories, they might well hate each other. There are Democrats that absolutely hate Republicans and probably a lot of Republicans who actually hate Democrats. But as you go up higher and you move toward more elite positions, people higher up with more elite lifestyles, you will see that they are explicitly working together to accomplish the same goals. And eventually you understand that they need each other. You can think about street gangs. Those are controlled by the regime. Do they recruit normal people off the street and turn them into lifetime criminals, make them serve long prison sentences, occasionally advance them if they are good at serving the regime and happy to do so. We all understand that, but we also understand that there are corrupt cops and those corrupt cops work with those gangs and both sides profit. Both sides create crime where it is needed. And sometimes crime is needed. Sometimes crime is needed to destabilize certain neighborhoods. 
because there are some places that are more valuable without any people in them. And there are some places that become more dependent on the regime and are willing to give away basically all of their freedom so that they can be taken care of because their lives are so bad. Otherwise, we can love cops. We can honor the sacrifice they make. We can believe that they lead honorable lives and are just trying to serve and protect their communities and also understand there are a bunch of really bad cops and those bad cops are advancing in life through corruption and criminality and compromise. There are people out there who will turn a blind eye to really, really horrible crimes. And there are people out there who happen to be policemen who will even go along and assist in the commission of those horrible crimes because they themselves will profit. We can see what the FBI is. We can see that the FBI will help the regime pursue its political opponents and then prosecute them and go after normal Americans, calling them terrorists and involve themselves in a series of false flag events, involve themselves in various fringe groups and hate groups to the point where they're essentially creating and running them. But we also know there are good people in the FBI as well. Everything is two things, but the point is those corrupt people on the law enforcement side and those criminals who can be directed in ways that are beneficial to the regime or who are willing to do the things outside the law that most who are trying to climb the ladder within the party of false decorum are not willing to do. They work together. They can seem to be on opposite sides. They can even be at each other like cats and dogs, but ultimately they're supporting one another in the pursuit of the same agenda on behalf of people higher up than them who allow them to both profit, both sides profit off the furtherance of that agenda. On the surface, they are in absolute opposition. They may even hate each other, but underneath that surface, what's really going on is that they are working together for the same thing. Now, you might think that sounds crazy. How did they come together? They were on opposite sides. Did they meet and just determine that they were going to pursue common goals together? Well, no, not really. Maybe some of them entered organically, but the system itself and both sides within that system have been directed to do certain things by those above them throughout their entire history. And you might say, well, Israel and Hamas, that makes no sense whatsoever. But then have a listen to this from Ron Paul. The gentlewoman from Florida is recognized. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I'd like to yield two minutes to the gentleman from Texas, Dr. Paul. I, the I thank is the recognized uh, for two minutes. lady for yielding, and I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection. Uh, Madam Speaker, um, I rise in opposition to this resolution. Uh, not because uh, I am taking sides and, and picking who the bad guys are and who the good guys are, but I'm looking at this more from the angle of being a uh, United States citizen, an American, and I think resolutions like this uh, really do us great harm. Uh, in many ways, what's happening in the Middle East, and in particular with Gaza right now, we have some moral responsibility for both sides uh, in a way because we provide help and funding uh, for both Arab nations and Israel. 
And uh, so we definitely have a moral responsibility, and especially now today, the weapons being used to uh, kill so many Palestinians are American weapons, and uh, American funds essentially are being used uh, for this. But there's a political liability, which I think is something that we fail to look at because too often there's so much blowback from our intervention in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. You know, Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. And you say, well, yeah, that was better then and served its purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system, we're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. During, during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. And uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with the, with the Soviets. There's too much blowback. There's a lot of reasons why we should oppose this resolution. It is not in the interest of the United States. It's not in the interest of Israel either. Now that's odd, right? Ron Paul is claiming that Israel, with America's help, created Hamas. And to me, that sounds a whole lot like how Ukraine, with America's help, created those Nazi battalions. And how America created and funded ISIS and Al-Qaeda and these drug cartels that they can't stop working with. They use these quote-unquote, terrorist organizations and cartels around the world as the muscle and logistics for their global criminal enterprises. Human trafficking, drug trafficking, weapons trafficking, money laundering. All of this is tied together. All of this is run by gangs and cartels and terrorist groups. They're called different things in different places, but they all kind of work together to advance those common goals. They might all have their own individual desires, and sometimes the desires of each group might be in opposition, but they'll come together when called upon from higher up to advance the same agenda, just like the Uniparty in America does here. Now, they're not violent. They're not weaponized, at least not within our politics. I mean, these people went to college. They're too good for that. They're not going to be the foot soldiers actually out there on the streets, risking their lives and killing and doing that real up in your face kind of crime. No, they'll just assist in overthrowing the nation by scamming the citizens out of their vote. You see, it's totally different then. All they did then was sign their name to the wrong piece of paper. They didn't like massacre a village or anything. I mean, it's only the president. It's only our vote. It's not that big a deal. People in the Uniparty think ah, our votes don't count anyway, but they can't believe they'd ever be stolen. Isn't that incredible? A total inversion within the false reality. 
They know their vote doesn't count. They say it doesn't count, even just based on the statistics. They're like, ah, it doesn't matter if I vote. It's one vote among like 150 million votes. So they'll say that or they'll say the votes don't count. Nobody trusts how they count them anyway, but they'll still accept the outcomes of the elections. And they'll even argue that because our votes count for so much, no one can check to see if they were actually counted. We must simply support the outcome no matter what they tell us it was. And while they have some mass of the population who really believes that the elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter, there are plenty who know that's not true. But the regime doesn't care because the regime has already set it up so that the candidates on both sides, Republican or Democrat, whoever wins, will be doing the job of the regime. So why have the election in the first place? They could just negotiate the outcome in advance. Or better yet, the corporations and organizations and countries who fund these political candidates, well, they could just hash it out among themselves and let us know what's been decided. And of course, that's exactly what happens. Of course, they control both sides of it. What are they going to do? Leave it up to chance? No. They don't like leaving things up to chance and they've always been able to exert a certain amount of control because they have control over the culture, over society, over the academy and over the means of communications, but they are losing that control. And there are sovereign nations, sovereign individuals within those nations around the world actually rising up in genuine opposition to them. And we keep speaking out in opposition to them because again, the truth is they need us. That's why all the censorship, why all the propaganda, why all the oppression, they don't just need to force us along. They need some amount of people to go along with them by choice because otherwise there's no one to do all their stuff and there's no one to fight in their wars. There's no one to respond to the incentive and punishment structure so that they can easily be controlled. And once enough people decide not to go along with them and those people stand up and people can actually see the difference between those sides, their project is halted. Have they ever had to do that on a worldwide scale at the same time? No, I don't think so. They've always created both sides. And as long as no one understands that those two sides are the same side and that they're both fighting against the people, the agenda moves forward. They create both sides and they lie consistently about what the sides are. They make it extremely confusing. They define different groups in different ways at different times. And you're just supposed to lump them all together in your mind and assume that the people in my country who are agreeing about what we need to do all of those elites, those experts, those people within the Uniparty who are agreeing about what we need to do, they have come together to recommend this strategy on behalf of America. They're all good Americans who want the best outcome for America. And so they decided together to put all their differences aside and move forward with this agenda because this is going to help America. And because they've put their differences aside and come together to help America, we need to listen to them when they tell us who the bad guys are in any given circumstance. And we need to be willing to change our opinions at any time. Like, check this out, for instance. 
This is from August of 2017. This is CNN.com. August 29th, 2017. Hezbollah. Mission accomplished against ISIS in Lebanon. Wait, what? Hezbollah is helping who against ISIS? Hezbollah against ISIS? Okay, well, let's get into this. Lebanon's campaign against ISIS in its border region has been declared mission accomplished by the armed group Hezbollah shortly after it announced a pause in the fight against the militant group. Around 600 ISIS fighters and family members have now left Lebanon and crossed the border into ISIS-held eastern Syria, according to the Syrian state-run news agency Sana. When ISIS found itself in the last corner facing a critical battle, It surrendered and collapsed and had no other option but to accept our conditions. The leader of the Iranian-backed Hezbollah Hassan Nasrallah said in a televised address Monday, the issue we are talking about is not just the liberation of 140 square kilometers of the Lebanese territory, but the liberation of all Lebanese territories, which means there are no more terrorists existing on any hill, mountain, valley, or border point. Nasrallah said he said it was a case of mission accomplished. The transfer of ISIS fighters came after a peace agreement was struck between Hezbollah, the Lebanese army and ISIS on Sunday. The first deal the extremist Sunni terror group has made with a battlefield foe. The Lebanese army said the ceasefire would allow negotiations on nine soldiers held by ISIS since 2014. The military leader said it found eight bodies and was conducting DNA tests to see if they were indeed its soldiers. The army, which was fighting on the Lebanese side of the eastern border, said it didn't coordinate with Hezbollah, which was fighting on the Syrian side in West Kalamun. Working in tandem with Hezbollah would be politically sensitive as Lebanon is an ally of the U.S., which has designated Hezbollah as a terrorist organization. Nasrallah said Hezbollah relayed the information it obtained about the burial site of the soldiers' bodies to the Lebanese civil protection authorities, who in turn sent the information to the army. So which enemy is my enemy if my friend is my enemy's enemy and my friend's friend is my enemy's friend's enemy? And this is some of what we're dealing with now. Are Hezbollah good because they helped to defeat ISIS or are they evil like we've already been told or is part good and part evil because everything is two things or were they good and now they're evil? Were they evil? Now they're good. This is why we can't simply lump everything together, determine an up or down on that thing and then apply that up or down vote to everything. That's not going to get us anywhere. And the confusion is actually beneficial to the regime because sooner or later, they think that anyone thinking about these issues will check out. They'll say, you know what? Yeah, there really is too much here. I don't feel like I have the base of knowledge required to talk about these issues. Therefore, what I'm going to do is go back to what I was doing before. I should have never started thinking about or learning about any of these issues. I should have trusted the experts this time, just like the TV said I should. And I'm going to go ahead and let the people on TV decide whether or not a war will be brought and fought in my name 
that ends up incinerating and wiping out millions of people. Potentially they did it. They've confused me. Now I got to give up and listen to the guys on the daily wire or the people on MSNBC. And we might actually see an interesting development over the next few days with some of leftist media. There are a lot of people on the left and maybe it is the populist left who are making the pro-Palestinian case. Now, I have no interest in making that case, and I might not even engage with that case for a while because I think that there are a bunch of baseline subjects that need to be covered first before we start labeling good and bad guys. I think in general, it's probably good to take some time and learn some stuff and really think it over before you go around calling people evil. And we should know this, especially as people who were called evil for like not wearing a mask or not calling a man a woman simply because he says he's a woman or voting for Donald Trump. We've been called every name in the book. We've been called evil for every reason imaginable. And we're going to understand that experience, but now turn it around because we're told by the very same people telling them to call us evil that we should be calling them evil. We're just going to play along and do that after being called evil for nothing. I'm not. I mean, you can if you want, but I'm not. I think it's wise to take some time on that, particularly with how this story has been rolling out. We talked a bit about those hang gliders yesterday. I did an hour with Patrick on his show, Reading Epic Threads. That's Patrick Gunnels talking about some of the pieces that have been put out about how some of what we are seeing is very clearly fake and it actually does matter. We can't just assume that they're telling the truth about all of this this time because this time it's so important. This time it's about the Jewish people who have been historically oppressed. This time it's about war. They would never lie about either of those things, even though they're lying about both of them right now in Ukraine. We can't just assume that. We are told that Hamas fighters flew in to a desert rave on paragliders and then took like 30 models hostage from that event. And Miles Mathis, who was talking about this, made the excellent point and wondered, how did they get all of these models back to where they're now being held? They paraglided in. How did they get out? And how did they take people with them? Where's that part of the story? Did buses arrive? How did these paragliders evade the Israeli defenses? They're not stealth. They're not even quiet. They're easy to see. They're not fast moving. They can't evade fire. How in the world did that work? We had reports yesterday about intelligence failures, and those will be ongoing. This was the Times of Israel.com. Yesterday, Egypt intelligence official says Israel ignored repeated warnings of quote unquote something big. Mounting questions over Israel's massive intelligence failure to anticipate and prepare for a surprise Hamas assault were compounded Monday when an Egyptian intelligence official said that Jerusalem had ignored repeated warnings that the Gaza-based terror group was planning something big, which included an apparent direct notice from Cairo's intelligence minister to the prime minister. 
The Egyptian official said Egypt, which often serves as a mediator between Israel and Hamas, had spoken repeatedly with the Israelis about something big without elaborating. He and Israeli officials were focused on the West Bank and played down the threat from Gaza. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government is made up of supporters of West Bank settlers who have demanded a security crackdown there in the face of a rising tide of violence over the last 18 months. We have warned them an explosion of the situation is coming, and very soon, and it would be big. But they underestimated such warnings, the official, who spoke on condition of anonymity because he wasn't authorized to discuss the content of sensitive intelligence discussions with the media, told the Associated Press. Netanyahu denied receiving any such advance warning, saying in the course of an address to the nation Monday night that the story was fake news. Benjamin Netanyahu says it is fake news that his intelligence was warned about something big coming from Hamas. Now, is he telling the truth or not? We don't know, but that is very, very interesting. Fake news. This story is fake news. Now, if he's telling the truth, that means that Egyptian intelligence did not tell Israeli intelligence that something big was coming soon. The story was spread far and wide. So you'd have to think that the regime was happy to have people understand that Israeli intelligence knew something big was going to happen. Now, is it possible that other officials who might be subverting Benjamin Netanyahu may have known and not alerted Netanyahu or anyone in his faction. Sure, maybe that's possible too. There are other possibilities that I'm probably missing. But considering that Benjamin Netanyahu is the one saying it, we have to at least consider the possibility that he's telling the truth. And if he is telling the truth, what does that say about Israeli intelligence? Did they really just miss this thing? This paraglider attack, for instance, they had no idea that Hamas might be dropping down on their desert raves from the sky and paragliders. Was that not in the intelligence reports? They never thought that such a thing could happen because it is so outlandish that almost any intelligent person would immediately think, Oh yeah, that's fake. Yeah. Why are they showing us that? That's fake. Is this like one of those, uh, ghost in the machine kind of operations where they're showing us something that clues us into the fact that we are being lied to broadly. We are being shown something so ridiculous that virtually no one anywhere could possibly believe it's true. Are we supposed to understand that other elements of the story may well be true? Yeah. There's a good chance that that's what's going on. No early message came from Egypt and the prime minister did not speak or meet with the intelligence chief since the establishment of the government, not indirectly or directly. His office said in a statement earlier in the day. Now, that is even more interesting. The prime minister did not speak or meet with the intelligence chief since the establishment of the government, not directly or indirectly. Should we take that to mean that Benjamin Netanyahu is not getting briefed on intelligence from Israel's own intelligence agencies? Or is it that Benjamin Netanyahu has cut them out on some level in the future? How do we imagine this might look with the CIA? 
Is Donald Trump going to come back into office and work hand in glove with the CIA? Are they going to be inseparable? Are they going to be kind of like an odd couple in the future? We're going to have movies made about their congenial relationship. Oh, at first they wanted to destroy Donald Trump, but now they're best pals. This is the Donald Trump and the CIA movie. We'll probably get stories about them cutting him off. We'll probably get stories about him cutting them off. You can figure it's only going to work in one direction. And we've already kind of had some of that. Is it possible that that same thing is happening in Israel and that's what's going on in Israel? It's possible. Should we assume it's true? Nah, I don't think we should assume it's true yet, but it's possible and it's a potential parallel. And if we're right about that, then we might learn something about situations in our country and in Israel. Now, this is a fairly long article. I'm not going to be able to go through all of it, but let's jump down near the end. Amir Avivi, a retired Israeli general, said that without a foothold inside Gaza, Israel's security services have come to rely increasingly on technological means to gain intelligence. He said terrorists in Gaza have found ways to evade that technological intelligence gathering, giving Israel an incomplete picture of their intentions. Isn't that interesting? They are operating in a different information space. They have been forced to figure out how to evade the information control by Israel's security services. The other side learned to deal with our technological dominance and they stopped using technology that could expose it said Avivi, who served as a conduit for intelligence materials under a former military chief of staff. Avivi is president and founder of Israel Defense and Security Forum, a hawkish group of former military commanders. Sounds very globalist, does it not? They've gone back to the Stone Age, he said, explaining that terrorists weren't using phones or computers and were conducting their sensitive business in rooms specially guarded from technological espionage or going underground. Oh, that sounds like skiffs. They were conducting their business in skiffs. But Avivi said the failure extends beyond just intelligence gathering and Israel's security services failed to put together an accurate picture from the intelligence they were receiving based on what he said was a misconception surrounding Hamas's intentions. Israel's security establishment has in recent years increasingly seen Hamas as an actor interested in governing, seeking to develop Gaza's economy and improving the standard of living of Gaza's 2.3 million people. But Avivi and others say the truth is that Hamas, which openly calls for Israel's destruction, sees that aim as its priority. So the globalist former retired general of Israel security services who is bemoaning the loss of their technological advantages on intelligence gathering says that despite Hamas wanting to govern and improve the standard of living for people in Gaza, what they actually want most of all is Israel's destruction. And I got to say that kind of sounds like when Michael Hayden tells us that we are trying to overthrow our democracy. Those MAGA extremists are going to destroy our democracy. If they are ever given any power, they're going to destroy democracy. That is what those MAGA extremists want. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Israel are the bad guys because this guy happens to be a hawkish war industry globalist 
And I'm not saying that Hamas are good guys just because there is at least the notion that they want to govern and improve the lives of the people in Gaza. Everything is two things. Sometimes we're talking about the good side of a thing. Sometimes we're talking about the bad side of it. We can be pretty sure that hawkish former generals who are into technological intelligence gathering and are bemoaning the loss of their abilities are probably the bad guys. And let's go ahead and finish this article off. Israel in recent years has allowed up to 18,000 Palestinian laborers from Gaza to work in Israel where they can earn a salary about 10 times higher than in the impoverished coastal enclave. The security establishment saw that carrot as a way to maintain relative calm. In practice, hundreds if not thousands of Hamas men were preparing for a surprise attack for months without that having leaked, wrote Amos Harrell, a defense commentator in the daily Haaretz. The results are catastrophic. Israel has also been preoccupied and torn apart by Netanyahu's judicial overhaul plan. That, my friends, was the subject of the color revolutions in Israel. The regime wants the sort of control in Israel's judiciary that they have in Brazil's judiciary. And you can remember here how they were trying to take over that branch of the federal government and why Donald Trump angered them so much by nominating and confirming three Supreme Court justices. This is why they want to increase the number of seats on the Supreme Court. They want to fully own a branch of government for life, not because of elections for life. They can take care of all the elections after that. And then when Supreme Court seats come up, their selected politicians and officials can appoint those justices. That's the point. They want to own that branch forever. Netanyahu had received repeated warnings by his defense chiefs, as well as several former leaders of the country's intelligence agencies, that the divisive plan was chipping away at the cohesion of the country's security services. So all of this is Netanyahu's fault for ignoring warnings from other countries that he says never happened. He also ignored warnings from his deep state, it sounds like, telling him that if he continued in this direction with this whole judicial thing, the judicial thing that had color revolutions actively being run against him in Israel, if he failed to go along with that, something was going to happen. He was told that is what this article is telling us very plainly and clearly. Martin Indyk who served as a special envoy for Israeli-Palestinian negotiations during the Obama administration, said internal divisions over the legal changes was an aggravating factor that contributed to the Israelis being caught off guard. That roiled the IDF in a way that was, I think, we discovered was a huge distraction. So what does that sound like? The regime created Hamas, Hamas just launched this attack, or is at least being given credit for it. And Netanyahu was warned the attack might have never happened if he simply decided to go a different way on that whole judiciary thing, the way the regime wanted. So how are we supposed to look at this attack? Should we just accept what they tell us on TV? I'll be back tomorrow at the same 
Reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. 
And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!